Welcome to another episode of Sunday's Strays, A House Sitter's Tales. This week we're going to take a deep dive into septic tanks and all that outdoorsy stuff. My favourite places are away from towns and cities, so I've actively targeted rural house sits, as that's usually where you'll find me, in the garden, on my bike, foraging for mushrooms in the forest, or clambering up a hill. Let's talk about snakes, then move on to water, the elixir of life. I have almost pedalled over snakes on bike trails, but rarely encounter them in gardens. So it was a surprise to arrive on a property a few months back, and the first thing we saw was a sun-baking eastern brown. My house-sitting companion jumped back, The snake slid under the house and we never saw it again. The pet in our care on that property was a smoochy cat and one of my favourites. I'd even knitted her a blanket over winter and was keen to see her reaction to it. She adored it. So, after settling in and unpacking, there was a flurry of activity downstairs. We cleaned out weeds and wood and other stuff from under the house stuff that made it difficult to see what was lurking in the shadows. The water pump is under that house. We needed to turn it on and off to hose the garden in front of the house. The rule of thumb on rural properties is snakes live here too. And if there are mice, there are snakes. If the landscape is dry, there are mice. It's just the way it is here. This year, once in autumn and then in winter, I've swerved sideways on the bike to avoid bumping over wriggly sticks. I can be almost on top of the snoozing reptile before spotting it. From a distance, a snake can look like a stick. And snakes come in all shapes and sizes, just like sticks. The first snake in my flight path was a red-bellied black. That was on a dirt track in wetlands in Victoria and definitely unexpected given the time of year and drizzly weather. The winter beauty was a carpet python with its distinctive squiggles, this time on the Northern Rivers Rail Trail on a sunny day. It was spread out across two-thirds of the track, just enough room to do my sideways two-wheeled shuffle. The other snake encounter was on the beach house sit at the property mentioned in the previous episode. With the garden bursting with spinach, it was my last night at the property. After a balmy two months of writing and swimming, I was giving the gardens a good soak with rainwater before my departure. The owners were not expected home for another week or so and they'd asked me to stay on but I was booked for a house sit elsewhere and had a week up my sleeve and wanted to take a detour up to my birthplace in the outback. So there I was out in the sun, watering everything. The spurting water from the hose startled a small brown snake, which slithered under the house because that's what they do. Go where you can't see them in the shadows. I texted the homeowners Not that they cared. Snakes are part of our environment. 
I just try not to alarm them. And it takes a snake a lot of energy to make venom. So they don't like to waste it on things they don't intend to eat, like us. And sometimes they move so fast, it's not possible to identify the species. In Australia, unless it's a python, and they are easy to spot, we assume it's a venomous animal. And brown snakes are not always brown. They come in a myriad of colours. Unless, of course, you flip one over and check its belly markings. But you may not live to tell that tale. Now let's talk about water. Water is a necessity. There's no way around that. It's where we came from, and without it we are toast. So is every other species on this planet. And if you live in Australia, or know even a little about it, you know that water is a precious resource. I generally encounter several sources of water on my travels, some more helpful than others. Most of us are familiar with what we call potable water. That's the stuff that comes out of both our indoor and garden taps in most of populated Australia. Not so in some countries, where the outdoor water is not drinkable. Then there's rainwater. Almost all rural and some urban properties have rainwater tanks. That's the free stuff. And it's better tasting than the city supplied water. I still think Canberra has the best tasting tap water in Australia and possibly Adelaide the worst. Water siphoned off a natural source, such as a spring or river, is good for gardens. I housed at one property where they used river water for the gardens and the toilet inside the house. Okay, if you don't mind the toilet looking like it has never been cleaned. I'll come back to that property when we talk about tap fittings. Then there's bore water, rich in minerals, good for watering farm animals a great way to kill your plants. Twice I've washed my car with bore water. It's free, but leaves brown streaks all over the paintwork. I did not use it to wash the caravan. It would have made a heck of a mess. An interesting bit of trivia about bores is specifically in Queensland. These days they have to be drilled by a licensed operator and they are lined and capped. Queensland still has thousands of kilometres of bores that predate these rules. You may think it will get drunk by animals anyway. But around 40% of that water is lost to evaporation and seepage. That's a lot of wasted groundwater. I'm not sure what the situation is in other states. Anyway, let's move on. If you're a city dweller, you're probably familiar with grey water. That's the stuff that comes out of the shower and washing machine. Here, at least, we have to label the use of grey water on a property. Then there's black water, the stuff from your septic system or toilet, or porta potty of camping. Modern septic systems filter and redistribute the water across the property for irrigation. On the beach house property I house sat, there were dark lines fanning out from the house across the gravel. You can usually see where the water goes. The weeds grow well there. 
Regardless of the source of water on a property, the homeowner will leave instructions about how it can be used. Above all else, water needs to be conserved. Shower with a friend if you have one. It's not unusual for rural landowners to have a bucket in the bathroom. Shower water can be reused to flush the toilet, thereby converting grey into black water. Or carry it down to the garden. Or recycling water by running a hose out to the plants. I know this is a lot of chatter about water, but I have to think about it constantly. It's how my life rolls on the road. It was the same with towing the caravan. If I towed with full tanks, that's 180 litres, and an increase in petrol consumption. So I usually kept enough water across both tanks for three days of use. Otherwise, I had to hook up to a water supply somewhere. That can be expensive. The most rainwater tanks I've encountered was on a remote South Australian property. It was a maze of tanks, pipes, valves and hoses. The entire property was off-grid. There was a shed at the back of the garage with a solar setup and a huge bank of batteries. The shed was air-conditioned and there were air conditioners in every room of the house. It was a nice, cool summer for me. I've weathered some hot summers on the road, including this year with only a couple of plug-in fans. I get what I am given in the way of temperature control when house-sitting, though I do have control over my bookings and can filter out properties that are likely to be underheated. I'm not so bothered about cooling as I can usually manage the heat or find somewhere outside the home to cool off. But my health suffers in extreme cold. When I was caravanning, I swapped over the host fittings from plastic to brass. Plastic doesn't weather well. That applies to home and garden taps and hoses. And if a fitting cracks, I usually forage in the house or shed to see if I can find a replacement. Often I just pick one up on a visit to the local hardware store. I haven't had to replace any hoses on properties, but would ask the homeowner to pay for that. I had one experience on a rural property, the one with a toilet connected to river water, where the valve at the property fence line broke off completely. I plan to go into depth about that misadventure in an episode about pets and my personal safety. But for now, it was a plumber call out. I wouldn't have used that tap at all, except the hosts had told me the river water was available for car washing and not to wash the car with the rainwater from the tanks. I wouldn't do that anyway. Fortunately, my hosts were camping in Australia and I was able to contact them about the busted valve. They sent around a plumber, not their usual guy, and the fitting was fixed. It wasn't quite that straightforward, but I'll get to that later when I talk about the resident dog on the property. And this seems like a good time to jump into septic tanks and septic tank blockages. Now, as a keen traveller in the past, including in some countries with little in the way of sanitation, I've showered in a chicken yard standing in a bucket and even when caravanning have used a bucket to shower and wash my clothes. That actually doesn't bother me that much. 
It's just part of the fun of being a traveller. But when I'm living in a house that has a bathroom and toilet, let's say there's an expectation that everything can be flushed away with the touch of a button. It doesn't always happen that way. Septic tanks need to be maintained and can be prone to blockages. They're not as forgiving as the urban households set up. Even the slope of the pipes can affect the drainage. I learned this the hard way. My first experience of a blockage was a day before I was to exit a property. That was bad timing. Not enough time to organise a plumber. I contacted the homeowners and told them I'd tried to flush out the pipes, but whatever was causing the blockage seemed to be further down at the septic tank end. It may even have been full. I hosed off the gravel as best I could and later got a text saying it had been fixed. No worries, it happens. The next time it happened though, I was with a companion and he casually remarked, the toilet seems to be running slow. Have to say I didn't pay much attention when he said it. A bit later, after doing some gardening, then drinking water, I headed into the bathroom. I pushed the button and instead of draining, the water level in the bowl rose. Oh dear, we seem to have a problem. I went in search of he who probably knows more about plumbing than I. The next hour played out quite differently to our usual late afternoon kickback on the deck with snacks and a glass of wine, enjoying the mountain views, then watching the sunset. We headed under the carport to figure out which pipes went where. Then I went upstairs to turn a few taps on and off. Not good, not at all. Whatever happened next, we were going to waste some of the precious rainwater supply. As the lay plumber's assistant, I was not that interested in getting covered in raw sewerage. But no matter, as by then, he was tapping pipes under the carport and had figured out they were full of standing water. Okay, what next? I was getting twitchy. So we called the homeowners who were thankfully back in the country by then. They agreed to us trying to locate and remove the blockage. And apparently it had happened before. And it had a bit to do with the pipes not being on a decent slope under the house. Our first manoeuvre was to roll the large wheelbarrow under the flat pipe in the carport and remove the end cap. Lots of water came out and not much else. A bit smelly was all. I think that was a good thing. Although I was standing well clear. Yes, that's me, the cheer squad. And after all, I was merely the plumber's assistant on this job. He replaced the end cap and we headed under the house. Good thing we'd cleared out the rubbish, as throwing a snake into the mix would have been interesting. More tap, tap, tapping. He quickly located the point at a three-way intersection where there was standing water and an empty pipe leading down to the standpipe, which, presumably, goes into the underground septic tank. My brave companion removed the cap at the downhill intersection. Meanwhile, I uncalled the, ha the hose and turned on the pump. He shoved the hose into the pipe until it hit the blockage. Then, as assistant, my role was to turn the tap on and off. While standing at least 15 metres from a potentially nasty, smelly waterfall. This went on and off a few times. 
then something gave way. Luckily, we both managed to stay clean and didn't even see the blockage as it shot down the pipe and into the septic tank. Just for fun, my companion threw his arms wide and lunged at me for a hug. I was off and running. We laid out the hose in the sun to kill off any bugs and tossed around some hand sanitizer. Now, things like that don't happen often, and I know our hosts would have sent around a plumber, but if it can be fixed and looks doable, I'm happy to give it a go. On that occasion, I was lucky to have someone with me who'd grown up on a farm and was enthusiastic about getting his hands dirty, just as long as those hands stayed well away from me. In a future episode, I'll talk about hacks and things I've fixed on the run. It's not feasible to contact my hosts about every little thing, and sometimes they are well out of range. I will do what I can. This week, I rigged up a tarp with cable ties to give the chooks more shade in their enclosure and bought a couple of plastic basins for the hens for extra water during the day and set up a bird bath for the local wildlife. It has been hot and it's only going to get hotter over this summer. If you enjoyed listening to my ramblings, please hit the follow button. It will help you find future episodes. My content is released weekly on Thursday afternoon in quick bites of roughly 20 minutes. Occasionally there may be bonus content on a specific topic. And I do want to tell you about the dog and the plumber but you can listen to episodes in any order. Although these are my stories, I will sometimes talk to other house sitters and homeowners about their experiences. My content is still largely scripted by me, as I'm learning as I go. I'm also going to experiment with outdoor recordings at times. I'm planning another bike ride through the bush this week and another trip to the Blue Mountains before the Christmas holidays. And on that note, be aware that although I use noise reduction software, the audio may be recorded anywhere on my travels. At the moment, my recordings are made in an urban setting and there are a few chooks in the backyard. They are great little layers. However, I welcome feedback on other aspects of my podcast. If you're a fellow traveller, a virtual traveller, or merely curious about different lifestyles, Again, thank you for listening. See you next Thursday. And happy trails wherever you may stray.